What's going on, everybody? This is Rafiki, and welcome to Power BT, a podcast that will take you to the West Indies and beyond with powerful short stories written by yours truly. Here, we will also dive into the history, culture, and literature of the region I call home and the parts of the world that help build it into what it is today. Hey everybody, welcome back to yet another episode. I know that things have kind of been shaky on Power BTI, I can't even lie. Um, I'm still trying to put out, you know, episodes and stories consistently every Wednesday. Obviously, this one will be going out after Wednesday. Um, but, you know, just having some personal adjustments in my life um, and going with the flow and rolling with the punches. And unfortunately, like about like adult life, you know, you have to choose sometimes between what you enjoy and what you have to do and so lately I've been battling a lot between like my writing and and talking about culture and history and then having to focus on like my professional life um the part of like the part of my life that supports me and supports these interests of mine and it's felt like I've had to battle those two things um but I'm trying to be like balanced in both because obviously as like as I was raised a major saying I was raised on was that we uh we work to live we don't live to work and so I've been trying to remind myself that not like working too much or working too hard on things that don't concern me um my health is also a priority so I've been trying to like focus on my health and things like that but I remember that part of my health like not just physically but emotionally and even spiritually is writing and so I wanted to put this episode together, episode 20 of Power BT, because when I started this podcast, I had a goal to write as many short stories as I could to connect as many people in the diaspora and beyond that as I could, and to highlight a beautiful tradition where my family is from, where my mom's side of the family is from, and that is Karakulu's Big Drum Dance. Um, and like, sometimes I think about this project of mine, and then I think of all the other things I have to do and it can be a little overwhelming. Like, I wish I had more time in my day. Um, and then I, you know, sometimes feel guilty about resting or things like that. But I know that everybody has to take time for themselves before they can, you know, give to others. And so that's why I haven't been um, maybe as vocal about Power BT. It's kind of interesting to think that this podcast has been going on for so many months now I started in November and it is now April and we're actually halfway through April um so it's been going on for some months and I have a lot of content I do want to put out um to last us a very long time it's just about being consistent in doing so so there were a few things I wanted to talk about obviously we're in the Evo collection we're talking about evil people in the Caribbean and just evil people as a whole but just because of things that have been going on I was not able to put together a, I would say like a historical synopsis of Igbo people in Karaku and in the broader Caribbean and things like that. However, what I do have is a, you know, recording of one of the songs from Karaku's big drum dance known as Igbo Guanado. Um, and I'm going to share that with you all for us to listen to, talk about, dissect, and then I will be narrating my short story inspired by this song. Um, in a similar fashion. So once again, I thank those of you who are still listening. I thank those of you who are checking in on me, if you know me personally. Um, and 
just thank you for being here and rolling with my chaotic life. <laughs> That's the only way I can put it. Um, but I'm going to share this recording of this big drum dance song. It's very famous in the big drum tradition. Um, it has survived. I think it's one of the more well-preserved songs. The lyrics are kind of simple, but the meaning behind it is very, very interesting. And it, it goes in the theme of how evil people have been presented um, in the Caribbean due to transatlantic slavery. Obviously, it's very simple. It's, the lyrics are not that diverse. It's not like the other songs we've seen, such as um, Negla Uive, where it's, I would say, more complex. This song is simple. And we have, once again, Mary Fortune, um, or May Fortune. I like to always give credit to her because she knows so much about the tradition and was very involved in the recordings. She translates it for us very simply. So the phrase is, Bateni la Jean is I don't have money. You can see how it compares to, you know, standard French because l'argent is money in French Creoles and ardent is um, money in standard French. So bâtonner l'argent is I don't have money. Tewe mkumaye, it means to bury me as I am. And then they say Ivo Grenado. So they're highlighting the fact that they live in Grenada. You know, Karakou is part of Grenada but that they are Igbo, they identify as Igbo, that is their ethnic background um, and their ancestral ties. And then they repeat that they want to be buried as they are, tewe unkumaye. But then they add the fact that they don't have money by saying, batini lajan. So while the lyrics are simple, I just kind of think about the fact that, of course, being black, like displaced from the African continent, you know, with roots as, you know, slaves and indentured servants, it makes sense that most people are not going to have money. And obviously some people are more poor than others. Um, and that's part of why the singer is saying to bury them as they are, like bury them simply. They don't need a big, you know, go awake or anything like that. And and that's true. But I think that this the song highlights two sides because it highlights that the, the lack of money 
right? And the lack of physical uh, wealth, right? But I think, you know, according to Winston Fleury too, I think he believed this as well, was that he was saying that the song also means that the person doesn't want their family and their friends to make a fuss over them. They don't want that person, they don't want their family and friends to argue over their grave. Because obviously death can bring people apart. It can cause divides between people. Um, And I think that part of Winston Fleury's understanding of the song comes from his optimism. Like similar to mine, like when you're a writer, when you're a cultural worker, you you take a deeper look into certain things. Um, So that's kind of his interpretation. While Mary Fortunes is more literal in the translation of the song, Winston Fleury's I definitely think is more imaginative and I don't think there's anything wrong with that I think it, it is great that we have two perspectives that we can put together um, but then in my own interpretation of the song I think that it if they were simply talking about the fact that someone wanted to be buried simply then they wouldn't I think the phrase Ibo Guinado would not be a part of that however that phrase in the song highlighting the fact that this person identifies as an Igbo person in Karaku, in Grenada. I think that's very important. It's very simple, but it's very important. And I think that it, what they're missing is the fact that it is highlighting their pride in their origins. The fact that they want to be maybe not only buried simply, but buried in an Igbo way. And that's something that we can only hypothesize. There have been connections drawn to Karaku's big drum dance and traditional Igbo um, funerary services, and the fact that the big drum is done sometime after someone has passed away, if it is done in, in the event that someone has died. It's not done immediately. It might be done a year after, three years, five years after, um, and that obviously ties into the tombstone feast and everything like that. So that's very interesting, um, and this song I feel like is one of the more well-known ones. I mean, it is still performed even in 2022, 2023, when people do have big drums and maroons and things like that. So I think it just kind of highlights Igbo perseverance um, within the Caribbean, especially within Karaku. And, you know, obviously I wrote a story inspired by it, um, and my story is called Karaku Igbo, which I'll be narrating. Once again, I want to add the disclaimer that my stories are works of my own fiction, They are not the origin stories of these traditional songs or this traditional practice slash religion. Um, It predates my work and predates me, obviously. Um, And once again, I want to thank you all for tuning in, for listening. I know this episode is very, very short and very brief, but I appreciate the time and energy you're giving to just take in this content. Thank you. Why should I feel discouraged? Chidubem stared at the light palms of her hands for a moment as her mother's famous question echoed in her mind. The sun was hot on the back of her neck, stinging her shoulders and collarbone like a hot iron. Why should I feel discouraged? The question returned, but Chidubem shook it away, focusing enough to return to her task of washing clothes. She frowned as she scrubbed her blouse and undergarments against the rock she had thrown into her washing basin, 
The movement of cloth over stone did not create bubbles, but produced a hissing sound similar to the maracas she had come to love. The hiss, a sign of success, urged her on and pushed the question away. Chi-Chi, a woman sitting across from her gave her a nod. You've been washing clothes for a long time now. Give it to rest. Chirubem shook her head. I can't rest, Olive. Not yet. But you can, Chi-Chi. Why tell you about calling me Olive? Call me Mom. Don't let the people them tell you different. Olive eyed the white businessman who stood in the distance, his eyes scanning the sea as if he thought to own it. Rest is good, especially for the baby. Pass me the bin. Go on. Chirubem forced a smile and sighed. She stood and slid the bucket to her mother, who took it graciously. Chirubem couldn't help but watch for a moment as Olive's hand slipped into the brown water of the washing bin, submerging and emerging with speed and care that belied an old woman. Her thick coils waved about her face in the hot wind, hiding the crow's feet engraved around her eyes. The edge of her navy blue dress grew dark with water as she continued to scrub. Olive caught her staring. Keep watching if you want. That's the best way to learn something. Soon, you're going to be watching for two. The two of them chuckled, and Chirubem turned away for their shared home, immediately dropping her smile. She felt sick to her stomach, and upon reaching the kitchen inside, hurled into the sink. Frowning, Chirubem bitterly wiped her face and turned on the water, rinsing out the sink. Had Olive seen her, she would have chalked it up to the baby being picky, but that wasn't why Chirubem was ill. She was sick of the baby, sick of the man who had given it to her, sick of his mother, Olive, and sick of thinking about the future. Chirubem raised a hand on her bulging stomach with disdain and sat at the kitchen table. She watched a black fly lazily buzz around the room, its wings humming incessantly. Why should I be discouraged? Chirubem shut her eyes as the question floated into her ears, playing twice, once in English and again in evil. It was the only evil she knew how to speak, a question and a proverb that had been preserved in her family, somehow surviving the jaws of death and the chains of slavery. Despite hearing it all her life, Chirubem did not know how to answer the question. While most proverbs offered wisdom, this one only brought confusion. She held on to it, though. It was the only thing she had that was hers and hers alone. Chirubem sighed as someone knocked on the front door sharply. She rose from where she sat and walked to the door, surprised by the presence of a stout, light-skinned woman on the other side of it. The metal of the door groaned as Chirubem opened it. Good afternoon, said Chirubem. Good afternoon. I don't think we've met before. The woman extended a hand. My name is Dr. Glenda Noel. I came to, do, to talk to do a house visit. I was informed that it's been a while since I came to the clinic, despite being pregnant. Well, I don't have money for a doctor, and I don't need one. The baby is strong and healthy. I have the baby's grandmother as a doula. I will be just fine. Dr. Noel smiled with corporate politeness. I see. Well, I won't bother you any longer than I have to, but I do have some questions. Talk, Chirubem said, fighting the urge to shut the door. Will anyone else besides the grandmother be present for the birth? The father? 
No, he went abroad and hasn't come back. Is the grandmother healthy enough to help you deliver this baby? She names Olive, and yes, she's plenty strong to help. Dr. Noel smiled again and nodded. Good, I will be on my way then. She even frowned as Dr. Noel turned away. She watched as the doctor waved at her mother-in-law before walking away. Her heart had yearned for her to ask what were the chances of her dying in pregnancy, but she could never have voiced such a question. Olive studied Chidubrem's brooding face and stood up, pouring out the water from the washing basin. What do you, Chichi? Olive asked. Nothing. You lie. Olive rested the bin face down by the front door and looked up at her slightly. You don't want a child. I can see it on your face. Chidubrem cut her eyes at her, fighting silently against her unshed tears. Olive sucked her teeth softly and took Chidubem's hand, guiding her inside. She gently shut the door as Chidubem leaned against the wall, sliding down it until she was seated on the floor. Olive sat on the staircase. Speak your mind, child. Chidubem merely shook her head. How could he leave me like this? I might as well be dead. Chi-chi. No, Olive. No. How could Charles just go so? How could he just leave me with a baby, as if I don't have my own life or desires? I might as well be dead, Olive, because I don't want a child. Not with him, and I can't give it away. People will know. He trapped me here. He left me here to suffer. Enough! Olive shouted. Chidubem jumped at the sound of the old woman's voice. She had never heard Olive raise her voice except at the farm animals. Olive was her mother-in-law figuratively a boundary she never overstepped due to Charles' unfulfilled promise of a ring. But here, in this moment, something was different. Chidubem watched with slight shock as Olive shut her eyes and clutched her head. Before she passed, Olive started, your mother used to whisper a proverb to me. Olive rubbed her head in thought as she pulled the words together. Guinea mwere mgaeji and we unkura mwo. Chidubem said, attempting to read her mind. It means, why should I feel discouraged? Olive laughed. Oh God, your mother was really something, a woman of Proverbs. I heard she say that before, but what comes to me in this moment is this. Tewe mkumaye, Ibo Gwinaro, Tewe mkumaye. Bury me as I am, a Grenadian Ibo. Bury me as I am. I say this to you now because you're about to bring life into this world. You can't leave the child where Charles left you. And though it may be hard, this life, this world is still yours. Not to take or conquer, but to build with. The day will come when you're ready for death, but you must live and grow first. You understand? Chidubem wiped the tears from her eyes and nodded. For a moment, Olive looked like someone else, her mother. Thank you, Olive. Olive smiled, wiping away her own tears. We in this together, Chi-Chi. The both are we. Well, everybody, that is all for today's episode. I also want to start, if I, I tried to put, <laughs> I tried to put Ibo in the, in the story, obviously, with the phrase, um, why should I feel discouraged? but obviously translated from English to Igbo. So if my pronunciation is 
poor. I do apologize. Um, I apologize to my Nigerian friends who do speak Igbo. Um, but, you know, I, I, I tried to do that to build a connection. Um, and I really wanted to tell a story that was about bringing life and about the stress of bringing life. I think it kind of not mirrors my life because I'm not having a baby. But definitely the stress of, of living sometimes, how it can overwhelm people. Um, and I thought it was an interesting parallel instead of like focusing on death because a lot of these songs have to do with death, obviously, because of their proximity to death, the funerary, you know, celebrations and things like that. I wanted to do something a little different. And while the story was short, reading it again, because sometimes I will write these stories and just kind of narrate it uh, without reading it again prior or editing. And this is one of those times. I like the story a lot more than I thought I did. I literally was writing this at, what, 5 a.m. this morning. So, before my before my day started. So, I want to thank you guys for just tuning in, for being here. Um, once again, if you are enjoying Car BT, please share, um, subscribe to the show, leave a comment, leave a review, follow Power BT on Instagram, follow me on Instagram at Rafiki. I'm also on Twitter and on Medium. Um, and once again, I will see you guys next week.